W. T. L. It's a big, hairy American window machine. If you ain't first, you're last. W. T. L. All right, nice, huh? Got a talk show here, talk show with my mic. I got everything. W. T. L. What he does is work out and performance. Get it to 85% weekend. You're a mute. W. T. L. Brings me to my next point. Don't smoke crack. All righty. So very thrilled here to have uh, Greg Peterson with us on the show. It's host of VSIN's The Greg Peterson Experience, Betting the Bracket and the Coast to Coast Hoops podcast. Greg, you do quite a bit over there at VSIN, the sports betting network. It's great to be on with you. Thank you so much for having me. And you know what? It's better to be a little bit too busy than to have a little bit too much time on your hands. So happy to do it all and happy to be on with you. Thank you. I couldn't agree more. You're always better off being a little busy than the other way around. So let's start off with the games that were that we uh, got treated to Saturday. Start off with the first game, Kansas Villanova. I feel like that kind of played out like it was supposed to or kind of how a lot of people are predicting Kansas winning 81-65 over Villanova. Jumped out to that fast start, 38-19, and Villanova just couldn't recover. Yep, exactly. Kansas getting out to that 10-0 burst to begin the game as well. That really put Villanova behind the eight ball. Villanova to have any chance whatsoever in that game. They had to slow the game down. They had to keep themselves close in a game in which I had to play catch up. That was not going to be ideal for them. That's exactly what wound up happening. And Kansas just could not miss in the first half. I mean, Oshay Ubaji going six of six on his first six three pointers. When you've got someone like a Dewan Harris making threes, you know that's just going to be a long night for you. You give Villanova so much credit for them being able to make the final four, but just without Justin Moore in that game, I don't know if Moore being in the fold would have led to Villanova being able to get a win, but I think it would have at the very minimum been able to allow them to stay at arm's reach a little bit more, but Villanova did everything that they could. Jay Wright, a tremendous coach. They were just outgunned in this game, plain and simple. Yeah, I'm glad he went there because obviously the loss of Moore was huge for Villanova, uh, but he was a shooting guard and we knew about Kansas size. That's really what they leaned on, you know, from a lot of different times during that first half. I believe, yeah, David McCormick had a season high 25 points. So I feel like that size for Kansas, you know, it might not have been stopped either way. Yep, it was a case of which Villanova, you figured that they were going to get outgunned a little bit on the glass. I like Jermaine Samuels. I like Eric Dixon. But a more along with his scoring, he does provide five rebounds per game. A guy that was actually the worst free throw shooter on Villanova's team at 74%, which when you put it that way, that's just absolutely insane how good they were at the charity stripe. But you did feel like Moore was a little bit more of that playmaker for Villanova, a guy that could really give you a little bit of explosiveness, not having that out there. And Villanova still shot it well from three. To their credit, they were able to bury a double-digit amount of threes in that game, but just not being able to have them try to be able to defend guys like O'Shea Obaji and company that wound up really hurting them. So Villanova did everything that they could just didn't wind up having the weapons in this one. And you mentioned Abaji and his big game, those six, three pointers. My co-host on WTL loves to do those player props. He was at 1.5 over under on three pointers. So he, 
He nailed that like the first four possessions. Did you see any wild player props kind of hit or miss that you were kind of looking at? The one that wound up missing in the second game was A.J. Griffin over one and a half threes. That was at like minus 170 juice that I was saying on the podcast. Yeah, I think that he should get here, but it's a case of which you don't want to be laying minus 170 on a player prop. That's just not going to lead to good returns. And the fact that North Carolina actually did as solid of a job as they did on Duke in the second game with regards to the three-point shooting because you want to take a Duke three-point shooting props. You went way under with regards to that one. Not necessarily a good night for you. That was a little bit wild. And what I thought was interesting as well is coming into the final four, the over-under for total made threes for the entirety of the final four and the national championship game. So these final three games was 44 and a half. And if you want to dig the over, well, you're feeling pretty good about that one right about now. <laughs> no doubt. So uh, that's a great segue. Let's get into the, the nightcap. Duke, North Carolina. Yeah, there's a little bit of buzz going on about that one. Uh, Duke got kind of outlasted there. 81, they fall 81-77 in North Carolina. Um, we were talking about that over quite a bit. And once again, my, my uh, co-host saying, hammer that, hammer that over. It hit. It also it covered by seven points on most books. Uh, 158, the line that we uh, were looking at was 151. Yep, this one wound up rising after what you wound up seeing in game one because Kansas versus Villanova, they were just preparing all those threes and public is watching that game and they're thinking, oh, it's going to be a three-point palooza. And wasn't necessarily that in game two. It was just the fact that you wound up having a lot of pace and the threes really came late. That sequence in the final two minutes is what really wound up cashing that over when Caleb Love winds up pairing that three. Duke was able to have a little bit of a response before then. I mean, that was just great high-quality basketball in the final couple minutes of that contest. Brady Manick was able to bury one as well. And then with North Carolina, you saw in the in-game line, even when they were like tied slash slightly ahead, you were still able to grab them as a little bit of an underdog. You were able to get plus money on the money line. So if you wound up taking it over and if you wound up taking North Carolina in that nightcap, that was very successful. I myself was on the under. I was thinking that we were going to see a little bit more tepid shooting. And up until the final couple of minutes, it was actually not in the world's worst shape, but no. fortunately also at North Carolina. So we wound up splitting that one. Now, Greg, I wasn't going to bring that up. I wasn't going to rake you up the coals there. Um, but that was an interesting point that I think a lot of people are looking at is, especially since the Sweet 16, how the unders have prevailed, you know, in a big way. I, I, I don't know if you have ever seen like a that lopsided of what was like 11 and three, the unders were hitting. And uh, we're kind of putting ourselves out there saying, look at the overs uh, heading into this one. Have you seen kind of like a, a such a lopsided uh, ratio when you're talking the overs or the unders? Now, when it came to the 2020 NCAA tournament, it was more with the first half unders. Full game, it was a little bit more successful, but the 2020 NCAA tournament was a little bit of an underpalooza as well, with unders hitting right around 60% for the entirety of the tournament. Now, it wasn't quite the 11-1 and first half and full game unders that we wound up seeing between the Sweet 16 and the Elite Eight, as a matter of fact. The final four wound up having more overs than the previous two rounds of the NCAA tournament combined, which is just absolutely insane when you wind up thinking about it. I can't remember a time in which we've ever seen quite an 11 to one split. I I can recall like a nine and three and eight and four. Sure. You typically find a couple more unders when it comes to this time of year, just because the games are intense, things slow down, you're in unfamiliar settings. So 
there typically is a little bit of value to the under, not quite mm-hmm. to the tune of 11 and one though. Yeah. It's just crazy how that the second half of this tournament's played out. So getting back to this North Carolina, you know, taking out, taking down uh, Duke, what did you make of that game? Cause I thought it was an instant classic. Uh, yeah. 18 lead changes, 12 ties. Uh, and early on second half, Duke got up by six points, which they did quite often. It was just that North Carolina would go on a run and answer. Uh, and then early on second half, they actually went on a 13-0 run, and it just ended up being too much for Duke to uh, overcome. It was classic Duke versus North Carolina. At no point in that game did you think, oh, this is going to be a total blowout. This team is completely <laughs> running away with it. And that's just what you love about this rivalry because in the previous 100 games, I think that the point differential had been like an average of two tenths of a point. I think that they were separated by like 15 or 20 points in total over the last 100 matchups. So you were expecting something close with Duke versus North Carolina. You wound up getting that and then some. And now we wind up setting up an eight seed going to the national title game. Coach K winds up having his career end one game sooner than he would have liked to. I mean, I can tell you right now, the folks over there in Indianapolis where the NCAA headquarters are, they are very happy about what wound up happening on Saturday. Oh, that was, it was just, that was good. That was NCAA basketball. It's everything you could dream of as a NCAA basketball fan. And yeah, the old Tar Heel fans are going to twist that dagger or knack just a little bit more, one more time for Coach K. Now, oh. uh, I saw on uh, your Twitter feed, um, you said something about Armando Baycott and that injury. Uh, he was, I thought he was just one of the biggest factors that maybe got overlooked a little bit because of his size. Uh, 21 rebounds. I think without him, Duke, or North Carolina probably didn't even have a shot, especially with his presence and what he was able to do. He did turn his ankle, though. He came back in, says he's 100%. Uh, have you heard anything lately, or, or what are your feelings over this injury of, of Baycott? He's absolutely going to play in this game. No fans or buts about it. It would take him going into the dodgeball reference of going on the roller coaster and breaking every bone in his body for him <laughs> to not wind up playing in this one. He's, he's going to go. I do think it's going to bother him a slight bit. If you're looking at a percentage wise, I think it'll be like 85, 90%. And it's not like Armando Baycott is going out there burying a bunch of threes or anything like that. So I think that this is a case in which you really don't need to shade your numbers too much with regards to North Carolina. You can feel good about Baycott wind up being in that game, being fully 100%. If you're a little bit more of an in-game better, maybe you wind up taking a little bit of a look. If you see that Baycott is favoring one leg a little bit more than the other, maybe that's something that you can exploit. But here in the pregame from everything I've been hearing, Baycott's going to be good to go. He's going to play his full allotment of minutes. Yeah, I got a kick out of that post-game interview, you know, Coach Hubert Davis is like, no, he's playing. I don't yeah. care. <laughs> he's he's going to go. Uh, speaking of your Twitter handle, that's at GUnit underscore 81. Now, you're all over like you always are, professional capper. I think 10-13, you tweeted out your line for this championship game. You came out with Kansas as the five-point favorite, a total of 149. I saw this line open up on a lot of books at 153 and a half. Where does that discrepancy come from? Why do you got just a shade lower there at that 149? I take a look at the way the Kansas is playing right now on defense, and it has been masterful. They've given up 65 points or fewer in eight out of their last nine games. So as we know, North Carolina, they have been very prevalent with regards to their offense here in the NCAA tournament. But North Carolina is a team that they struggle a little bit more with their three-point shooting when they're away from home. And 
Chapel Hill, they shoot right around 39% from three, more in the neighbor of 34 to 34.5% in a road and neutral court environment in Kansas. They've been tremendous at being able to block off the three-point shot. In their last 14 games prior to that game against Villanova, opponents have been shooting 27.5% from three-point range. So I do take a look at Kansas and the way that they've been able to lock down so many different opponents. We saw it in the game against Villanova. Villanova buried a couple threes, but really past that, Miami. You take a look at all the games previous, that entire Big 12 tournament. They've been able to do an absolutely exceptional job on defense. And what I love about Kansas is that they're a little bit of a chameleon. If you need them to play fast, they're able to. If you need them to play slow, they're able to. They've shown that all throughout the NCAA tournament. And I do think that they're going to do a good job of locking down on defense. And with David McCormick, who you mentioned a little bit earlier, I think that he matches up relatively well with Baycott. I think that Baycott ultimately wins the battle down low. I think that Baycott is going to grab a couple more rebounds in this game. But I don't think that it's going to be quite to the tune of 20-plus like yeah. we've seen the last two games for Baycott. So I think he provides enough of a speed bump. And I do think that if North Carolina is going to be able to win this game, they are going to need to go down low. And instead of getting a bunch of threes, that'll lead to them getting more twos, which is why I do like that under a little bit more. Okay. So you kind of led me right into it. You like the under. Do you like any of those player props? We're talking rebounds. We're talking Baycott. Has there, any, has, has there been any lines that have kind of caught your eye that you're kind of looking at? There's not really a lot. I'm not necessarily much of a player prop person myself. If I'd be looking at anything, I'd be looking to try to take a look at perhaps a little bit of an under at reasonable juice. At last check, Brady Manic at 16 and a half with minus 105 juice on the under. That could be calling my name a little bit more, but it's not something that I take a look at too much. And one thing as well, I noticed this with DraftKings, a lot of books, they do not have Armando Baycott player props up right now, which means that you could wind up seeing a little bit of different numbers in the AM as well. So I don't have a ton with regards to the player prop market. And that is something that you want to be watching out for because you might wind up seeing some books not offering Baycott until a little bit more is known about him in the AM. And you do a lot of work with DraftKings and you're all over those in-game type of situations. Do you think them not coming out with some of these props that, you know, a lot of guys just go crazy with and they just love them. Is it, do you think it might have something to do with that ankle injury? They're just kind of waiting it out. They want to get as much information possible before they put something out there. That's exactly it. I think that it was Tariq Owens a few years ago for Texas Tech. He wound up having a little bit of an injury, wound up playing in that 2019 national title game against Virginia. He mm -hmm. wound up being limited to just 23 minutes, but that wasn't necessarily due to the injury. That was a little bit more due to foul trouble than anything else. It's a very similar situation here. I fully expect Baycott to wind up playing. I expect him to be relatively close to 100%, maybe a little bit less than that, but relatively close there, a guy that is really just down low, not a guy that's going to be stretching out the floor. So it really didn't affect my handicap too much, but it's a case of which your books would rather be safe than sorry, because when it comes to the player props, especially most of the action that they're going to be taking, it's a day of the game. They're pretty much allowing themselves to gain a little bit more Intel and not get completely barbecued if something goes wrong. So you can't blame them there. So you kind of, you kind of like the under then for this uh, championship game. What about that minus five Kansas? I mean, I mean, you, you mentioned Kansas defense, how they're really clicking on offense. Are you a rock chalk Jayhawk here? Yep, I'm willing to lay the points with Kansas. Saw a lot of fours out there. Seen a couple straight four and a halves. If you've got a four and a half, I would rather lay the four and a half rather than take it. But with that said, I would say shop around for four because you never know when that's going to come into play. But I'm on Kansas. I wound up taking them with my bracket to win the whole shebang and wound up <laughs> talking about it a little bit earlier. I do think that Remy Martin 
such an X factor when it comes to Kansas. Iwanda, prior to the Elite Eight, seeing his point total increase in eight consecutive games. Jalen Wilson, I think, is going to do a solid job on Manic, which is why when we were talking player props, one that I'd be taking a look at is him under because with Wilson has been able to since late January, average right around 13 points, eight fours, shoots right around 31, 32% from three-point range since that time span. So he's really been able to come on strong for Kansas and O'Shea Obaji. We were talking about him earlier as well, the way that he's able to bury threes. I think that he's going to do a good job on Caleb Love because Love has had some great March moments, but O'Shea Obaji, legitimately one of the best on-ball defenders in all of college basketball. He's able to shoot threes himself. So I'm on Kansas and I'm on the under in this game. Yeah, you just you kind of go back to that that length that Kansas can play with their team length. And uh, they might have something inside on, on North Carolina too, just across the board. You know, they might be a little deeper, might be a little bit more athletic. Yep, I do agree with you there. I do think that the length on the perimeter has allowed them to do such a good job of being able to hold up with regards to the three-point line. I mentioned it a little bit earlier. Previous 14 games prior to that Villanova game, opponents were shooting 27.2% from three-point range against Kansas. So I do think that this is a spot in which North Carolina is going to have a little bit of a tougher time with their outside shooting than they did against Duke, where they wound up going 10 of 26 from distance. All right. Well, uh, really appreciate you having uh, on the show here. Where can folks catch up with you if they haven't already? They got to give you a follow. And of course, they got to get on uh, the Greg Peterson experience. Absolutely. The Greg Peterson experience now going to be on Saturday from 10 p.m. Eastern time to 1 a.m. So we're moving up a little bit there. College basketball season is coming to an end. So we're going to be getting done a little bit earlier on VSIM because there's a little bit less when it comes to NFL season. Typically in NFL season, I do more 1 to 4 a.m. Eastern time, which I'm sure that that'll be the case once again come the fall time. But also, Coast to Coast Hoops, even during the offseason, we're going to be keeping up with all the transfer portal movement. We wound up seeing even a move in college basketball with Thad Mata being hired on by Butler. So we're going to be preparing for the next season. And then for all the podcasts, all the shows I do, I always tweet out all my appearances at GUnit underscore 81 on Twitter. That's a solid handle right there. I tell you what. And uh, VEASAN, of course, the Sports Betting Network. And I know you guys got a lot of Major League Baseball coming out uh, here shortly as well. Yep, absolutely. And I've got a baseball podcast and it's the hardest baseball podcast to find. The Baseball Betting Podcast with Greg Peterson. We gave our creative team a raise for being able to come up with that very, very hard-to-remember name. I love it. We'll, we'll send our people over there then. We'll have to give you – got to give you a list, and that's too much. That's too good. Absolutely, and always do appreciate you having me on. Thank you so much. <laughs> Thanks, Greg. I'm sure we'll be catching up with you here shortly. Perfect. Thank you. Thank you.